0: you have a Bible this morning and you want to read along in our scripture text, I'd encourage you to. We're going to take a reading from the book of Acts, chapter 28. Uh, the book of Acts, chapter 28. And we're going to begin our reading in verse 16 of our scripture and read down to the end of the chapter, which just happens to be the end of the book. <clears throat> Acts, chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. And this is in the middle of a narrative that kind of difficult because we're forced to pick a place to start, so I feel like I'm jumping halfway in, but we'll try to give you um, sufficient backstory after reading the text today. Acts 28, verse 16. And When we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with the soldier that kept him. And it came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together, and when they were come together he said unto them men and brethren though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans who when they had examined me would have let me go because there was no cause of death in me but when the Jews spake against it I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar not that I ought to accuse my nation of For this cause, therefore, have I called for you, to see you, and to speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. And they said unto him, We neither received letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came showed or spake any harm of thee. But we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest, for as concerning this sect we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had pointed him a day, there came to many... Excuse me. There came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed after that Paul had spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. When he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding. That'll conclude our reading this morning. Forgive any of the mistakes that I might have made in the reading today, but the title of our message this morning is Resisting Group." think. Resisting group think. Now that's probably a more common phrase, group think, today that I don't think that phrase has been around too long. But it's the idea, it's pretty simple and it kind of gives it away in the name. It's the idea that a group of people think something And when you're amongst that group of people, there is an inherent pressure to think the same. And so oftentimes, we will shortcut thinking for ourselves, taking and laying out facts and evidence, giving honest consideration to a certain topic or idea, because we have adopted the culture of those people and many things about those people we may agree with and like. And so by default, perhaps, we become lazy or maybe just too trusting of a group or a person, and we allow whatever they ascribe to be true or right to something that we just commonly accept. Now, this is most common, I think, all of us can admit when we were younger— This is something we did often. As you're coming into the age of beginning to think for yourself, and suddenly you realize that your parents are not uh, deities of truth, that sometimes your parents can be wrong or mistaken, that you begin at a certain age, I'll even put it pretty young, 14, 15, 16 years old, to start thinking independently a little bit, or perhaps to start listening to other groups of people and Oftentimes, they're very convincing, and maybe they're even right. And we stop, or we can fall in the habit of feeling the pressure, desiring to be accepted, or just go the path of least resistance and not cause any turmoil in our group, and just kind of become a group thinker. That's very dangerous. I've seen in my own life the worst group think take place in religion. Where people come into a church and in striving so strenuous strenuously to maintain unity, sometimes teachers and preachers can get up and they can say some things. And I've sat back there even at a young age and thought, ooh, really? And there, became, there can become a dogmatism within a religious group. Not to question, not to ask for further evidence. And I want to testify this morning that any dogmatism, any legalism or pressure that could come from a religious setting or any setting for a person to adopt a view or a belief or a lifestyle or a way of living just because they're supposed to submit to groupthink, that is an unbiblical, ungodly thing. And it ought to be resisted, strenuously resisted. God blessed us with complicated minds, I'll even go a step further in saying powerful minds, that can reason and think and consider. One of the biggest differences between us and any other species upon the earth is a complex consciousness that we have and an ability to reason dozens of different variables instantaneously and make a decision. In our culture today, see the danger of a culture becoming polarized is that people tend to begin to think in those polarized extremes. That if I concede the other side is right in one area, if I concede that there is error on my uh, group's part in any area, then somehow people have deducted that it is an admission that everything I believe is wrong and everything they believe is right. And I'll tell you this morning, that has got to be resisted. Here, we learn of this account, and what really jumped at it to me is to understand what's going on here. The, the, the title of the book is called The Acts of the Apostles. And so, it literally means the acts, the actions of the life of the apostles. And we find in the first 12 or so chapters that Peter the apostle, who had been the default leader after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, that it begins to basically follow his life for the first 12 chapters. Then we find in chapter 9 that the apostle Paul gets saved, gets called uh, to be an apostle and to be a minister. And then it takes about a two-chapter break or a three-chapter break. And in Acts 13, it then transitions from following Peter's life to then following Paul's life all the way up until Acts 28 here. But in Acts chapter 21 is when really this story begins. Because Paul, it is revealed to Paul earlier in the book of Acts that he is going to be taken to Rome. He's going to stand trial there. And so he kind of goes on a farewell tour. He goes to Ephesus, a church which had supported him, which he had helped to establish and been among. And he tells them that God has sent him to Jerusalem. And he knows when he goes that he is going to be tempted to be prosecuted by the authorities. And so in Acts 21, he goes to Jerusalem, and he's there in the temple of the Jews trying to carry out certain traditions that Jewish people did, and they recognize him. Jews from out of town recognized the Apostle Paul and somebody that was near him, and they seized upon him because they knew that he had been a leader of this new group of people that at that time were called followers of the way. That's how they were known. There was a sect of people of the way. And Paul had done an incredible job here now for a little over a decade, traveling throughout the Roman Empire defending the Christian faith and declaring that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He had rose from the dead, that he had ushered in all groups of people, not just Jews, but Gentiles as well, into the kingdom of God. And he traveled planting churches all throughout that area. And so he was this recognizable symbol among especially the Jews because the Jews looked at him as the primary leader and enemy of Judaism. So what do they do? They see him, and in anger, they seize him, and they begin to beat him. Some Romans soldiers hear of a disturbance going on, so they rush in, and they stop everything from going on, and they grab the apostle Paul. And they're leading him away and they're, all these different people are shouting out what's going on and, and telling them that this man was causing a problem in the temple and he was breaking the law of our God and they make all these false accusations. And the Roman soldiers are listening to Paul's half of things and he uh, reveals to them that he's a, a Roman citizen, that he has the right to stand before a judge, a Roman judge, and have somebody hear his case. But in the midst of it, and I'm going to get to what we're trying to focus on this morning momentarily, so just stay with me for another minute. He gets up before this group of Jews, and he's given an audience with all the Jews that had been beating him. And the first thing that I want us to notice in Acts 21 about that occurrence is that those people had determined ahead of time, regardless of what the Apostle Paul said, that he was wrong. And there was nothing that he could say that would change their minds. I'll say this morning, the most dangerous place a person can get is when they are unwilling to listen to the thoughts and opinions of other people. Our culture is steaming as fast as we can that direction. I don't want to get into politics and I'm not gonna get into politics, but all I'll say about the political arena that's going on is anytime you try to silence anybody, it's dangerous. The reason it's dangerous is perhaps you're right. Perhaps that person ought to be silenced. But once you start determining who's gonna be silenced, eventually it's going to get to the place where some people whose truths need to be heard are silenced and it eliminates a lot of good and help it can do to our nation. Here, these people were enraged. They were so determined to preserve their way of life, their ideology, and Paul was disrupting that. And because Paul was disrupting that, they wanted him silenced at all costs insomuch that they would beat him to death. It says in that text that he was beaten so badly that as he was trying to walk up the steps to address the crowd, that the Roman soldiers had to carry him up the steps to speak. I see that sort of hatred. I see that sort of silencing today, and it's fearful. Listen this morning, if you're if you're around a group of people who won't even give an ear to another group of people to listen to what they have to say, beware of the people that you're around because they're more dangerous than the people they're trying to stop you from listening to. We don't want to muzzle people. It's one of the beautiful things about our nation, why it ought to be heralded as a great nation, historically speaking, is because the very first a promise of a right that we have in our nation is the right to speak. And that spirit of that promise was speaking things that are unpopular, that are dissenting from the government and other powers that be. And I'm thankful that we have that right today. I'm thankful that regardless of what the government thinks, that I can stand behind this pulpit and, and, and preach and speak what is true. Acts 21, he is not allowed... Or he's, they try to silence him by beating him. They're so determined not to hear him. But eventually, the Romans listen to his side of the story and they say, you know, there's nothing here that we ought to be leery of. He's not done anything wrong. And so Paul is granted the Jews, or Paul requests of the Jewish leaders, "Give me another chance to express what I'm preaching and why I'm preaching it." And so that's exactly what the Jewish Council does. We go to Acts 23 and we learn that the Pharisees and the Sadducees all gathered together, and there is this big meeting of religious people, and they're trying to find some degree of commonality here. And Paul comes in, and he's bound, and he's able to preach or share with them how that Jesus had fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament, the very thing that they hated him for, he tried to convince them that Jesus truly was the Messiah and was worth trusting in in that fashion. And yet again, what do we find? We find religious politics. I can't think of many things more disgusting than religious politics. Religious politics— Pharisees and Sadducees arguing over things that are, are in large part irrelevant to the conversation that was at hand. But in all the midst of that, being dismissive of the Apostle Paul, insomuch that he had no choice legally but to appeal to a higher power. No different today than when you're in court and the, the decision or the, the case has been carried out unfairly, and so you make an appeal to an appellate court. That's exactly what Paul does. So then he begins this journey of, of fulfilling the legal process of appealing his case. And at the core of his case is trying to express that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he entirely changed me. And every step along the process, we find Paul taking each occasion to speak, trying to Share that with people. And what I'm trying to bring before you this morning is how every audience responded up until Acts chapter 28. In chapter 24, we learn of a man named Felix. Felix calls him before. It's a wonderful thing to read. He calls him before. He has power in the Roman Empire. He has power to release Paul to some extent, and he wanted to hear his case. So he calls Paul in there, and he listens to Paul. And in Acts chapter 24, we find out very important details about Paul that ought to be convincing in a court of law. He says, you know, I was one of them. So what happened was this Jewish council brings an attorney before them to try to bring the case of the Jews. And they stand before Felix, this attorney does, and he gives this blistering case of how Paul is guilty of crimes against the Jews. And Paul gets up in his defense, and he begins to tell his story. And he says, listen, I worshipped among these people. These people know me. I worshipped among them. I did what they're doing to me. And then as I was en route somewhere, going to persecute these, a person just like me, people who were a part of this sect called the way, there was a light from heaven that shone. And I heard a voice. And he said, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Is it hard for you to kick against the pricks? Oh, I love what it shows us there. Paul had been one of those people who were trying to prosecute, who was trying to diminish the power of people that were speaking this truth about Jesus, trying to suppress the truth. But all the time, Paul in his testimony gives us insight into what was going on into his heart, and that was this. Even though he was acting out angrily against the Christian faith On the inside, he was being pricked. And I come before you this morning and share, there are many people I believe, even in and among us, who they have become hostile towards Christianity. They have fallen prey to groupthink. They have demonized Christians. They have made them to seem like radical, ignorant bigots. They listen to what the news media, what other people say that Christians believe, and what we think, and what the Bible says. They listen to the commentary of, of why the Bible is so ignorant and why it's so wrong. They conflate people who are extremists with people who are trying to truly call out, follow out the cause of Jesus Christ. And people among among us, college professors, different people on, on any type of social media platform, they try to make us look crazy, and if you're not careful this morning, you can very easily fall prey to groupthink in that fashion. But this morning, I'm like Paul, saying this, something happened to me. You don't have to believe me. Listen, I came from a broken home, and most people who come from the situation I come from, most people don't turn out okay. And I don't say that in any boastful fashion. What I say is this, that just two years later, it's 24 years to the day that that happened today. And two years after that happened, bitter, angry, confused, suddenly all of my attention Is taken away from all of those things and is arrested by something going on inside. You don't have to believe me, but I know what happened, and it was real. And as a young boy, I was convinced that something was wrong on the inside. I was pricked just like Paul. And at the moment that a person is pricked is a very crucial choice they have to make. They can either run. They can drown out the noise. Or out of pure curiosity, they can say, let me hear more. You know, all through Paul, all through Jesus' life, we, we learn of people, we learn of these occasions where those men were speaking. And it almost tells us, I would say, close to a half dozen times or more in each case, it'll say, there were some that ridiculed, but there were some that wanted to hear more on this matter. I ask you this morning, who are you? Who are you? Are you someone who allows the drowning out of the loudest voices in the room? You know, it's something uh, one of uh, Nazi Germany's leaders said during the period of the Holocaust. If you repeat something often enough, people will believe it. Now listen, I'm not comparing today to then. All I'm saying is he pointed out something about human nature. That's not something about our circumstance. It's something about our, our, our fallen nature. When something is repeated in our hearing by people we respect over and over and over, we just naturally gravitate towards it. Paul, in Acts 24, is standing before these people and he's recurring this experience that has taken place. And he said, I, had, I felt as though And I'm summarizing here, I had no choice but to yield to that. Now, he had a choice, don't get me wrong. But he's saying it was so convincing to me. I knew that the evidence couldn't be denied. Paul, in that moment, begins to tell of the time when God changed him. And he's saying, I was once someone persecuting people just like me. And then God changed my heart entirely. Now, I promote this way. And he's trying to convince others to do the same. Felix says, you know, let me hear this on a more convenient season. You know, you can tell in the language of when the lawyer as well as Paul is talking to them that this was a man of of prominence and power. Go back and read how they address him. Very respectfully, very in a, like a dignitary ought to be approached, like judges today are approached. Right? You can be held in contempt of court today if you go before a judge and show even just a minor form of disrespect. He goes before respectfully. He tries to convince him, and yet Felix isn't convinced. So he's pushed down the appellate court process, and he goes before Festus and eventually before King Agrippa and his wife Bernice. And if we jump to Acts chapter 26, we see Paul once again telling the whole story, pointing out the flaws that there's inconsistency in the prosecutor's team. All of their witnesses that they've called before, there's all these inconsistencies that don't make sense. But remember, that side doesn't want to make sense. That side doesn't want to find some logical consistency and truth. What they're after is just silencing the opposition many people today in many forms are exactly the same way. And I'm not exempting religious people from that. They don't want to consider the truth for what it says. They want to consider the truth for what they desire it to be. And in our culture, there is this, this malignant thought that you can have your truth and I can have my truth. Listen, there's a truth. And I either believe the truth follow the truth, practice the truth, or I don't. And thankfully, I don't have a patent on, I don't have copyrighted, I don't own the rights to truth. Nor does the federal government, nor does any powerful person in the world. God alone does. And thankfully, God alone shares it with us, not just collectively through something like this, but also personally in a way that we will receive it. Well, that's one of the things that just amazes me. Sister Megan in her testimony last week talked about the faithfulness of God. And one thing that she's thankful for is how God is faithful and that she thinks of that often. One thing that often comes to my mind in conjunction with God's faithfulness is how he differentiates getting us the truth based on our personalities. Or in other words, God speaks in a way that we are particularly vulnerable and sensitive to hearing. He brings people in and out of our lives that will, for whatever reason, that particular person we just we like and we listen to. We might not do that with our parents. We might not do that with people that are teachers. But for whatever reason, he puts somebody in our life, and we have this additional interest in what they say. He goes before King Agrippa. If you read again, if you go back in Acts 26 and you read, this was a grand event. Right, he's not just standing before King Agrippa and Festus and and the queen. There are nobles, there are all these group of people brought into this room and there's all these dignitaries. It's quite an event. And Paul is bound in chains, standing before them. And again, he in some ways repeats what he already said in Acts chapter 24. And he tells them. And yet at one point in that, he must have seen in the countenance of King Agrippa that he was listening intently to what Paul said. And he says, O King Agrippa, I know that thou believest the prophets. He begins to appeal in a way of pathos and passion to the man's heart saying, you know the truth. None of these things were done in a, as a secret. And King Agrippa says the famous words, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. I've had a few people in my life who they were so tied to certain groups They felt so obligated towards groupthink. My wife was almost one of those people. She grew up Catholic. And she'll tell you in her own testimony, I believe she did when she was up here, it's not just that she practiced Catholicism. Her identity was Catholic. Her mom was a nun, had been previously a nun for 12 or 15 years. And words that would often be heard in their house is you'll always be a Catholic. It was part of her identity. And so she's suspended between these two worlds. She's listening to this way that doesn't make sense, this way that there's no life, this way where there's conflict, where there's, it's not right. And it's becoming over time as she investigates it more and more self evident. And then on the other hand, she's listening and considering this other way. And it's doing more than convincing her mind, it's speaking down to the depth of her person. And that's the wonderful thing about God is oftentimes with the person who's a brainiac, he'll lean at first with the mind in order to get to their heart. And other people are not that way. They're geared more emotionally, and he'll lean with the, the emotions to get to their heart and work out the details in their mind somewhat later. God is compassionate like that. I'm thankful for that. And He appeals to King Agrippa, and King Agrippa is almost persuaded, but he walks away. This morning, here's what I'm asking you to be convinced of and go all the way with. You don't have to believe what I'm saying this morning. You don't have to say, you know what, the Christian religion's true. I believe every word of it. Here's what I'll try to convince you of this morning. Open the door to listening. Open the door to listening to what really is taught in God's word. Because I'll confess to you this morning, there was a time in my life where I did go and I searched out Islam because here was my national rationale. All right, if if, if the Christian religion is the biggest religion in the world and Islam is the second biggest religion in the world, Jesus of his own words said, broad is the gate that leadeth unto death. Well, I'm in the Broadway. Could that possibly be? And maybe that's a more narrow way that leads to life. And I thought, you know, I don't have any, it's not gonna hurt me. I can open up the pages of the Quran. I can open up the Book of Mormon. I can go ask questions to people and try with an open heart and open mind to listen and think. And there's no problem with that. And I want to encourage you this morning that that's the belief of Old Union Missionary Baptist Church. We want you to pursue truth. We want you to go seek and find and in the process, trust and pray, God, if you'll please guide me in this pursuit, open my mind, and if you're truly the God of Islam, then I want to live that type of life, and I stand before you here today saying that. But if it's wrong, show me that too. What I ask you to open your heart to this morning is the pursuit of truth. Don't fall suspect to groupthink. Don't listen to somebody because they have a tie and a pulpit and people voted them to pastor. Do it for a reason superior to that. And that is that God convinces your heart that it's right. And if the God of the Bible is who he says he is, that's his business is doing that. God's interest is your heart. Of all the valuable things in the world, God esteems your heart above all of it. And he is seeking to win it. And he has put institutions and people in this world specially commissioned for your heart. And sharing the truth of the gospel with your heart. And God has nothing to hide. There's not a part of the Bible that you can say, you know what, God wished he wouldn't have put that in there because it's going to lead you maybe to believing that he's not real and true. No, God and his omniscience and his wisdom put every word inspired as it is. And if you try to read it in the sense that it is a collective picture meant to put forward this beautiful mosaic that you can behold and be stunned with the beauty of it. Now, you know what, you can go and if you zoom in on any picture and you just see just one little color, you've I say, that's the ugliest picture you've ever seen. But when you back out and you see it in its context, what you learn is that that very thing may be integral to making the whole picture what it is. That's exactly how God's Word is. You can pick out parts and you can say, look how stupid this sounds. And you could do that with any book. But if you put it back in there and you evaluate it based upon the rest of it, what you'll find that it's the most amazing, transformative truth that you could ever read in your life. Here, he does that in Acts 26. I'm going to speed up and I'm going to be done. Acts 28 is where our our scripture reading was. In Acts 28, he finds a different kind of person, the kind of person that I want you to be this morning. He gets to Rome. It's been over two years since his original trial. So this has been quite the journey for him. He's been shipwrecked. He's gone all sorts of crazy experiences the Apostle Paul had here. He finally gets in Acts 28 to to Rome. He's going to stand before the king, is what we would say today. He's going to stand before our government, the Supreme Court, and give his account. But first, he calls these Jews, whom he evidently made the assumption that they had already received letters from the Jews who had been trying to prosecute him. And so he calls them all together and he says, let me tell you my side of the story. Let me tell you about what happened. And these Jews say, we've not heard anything about this. But listen to what they say. We have heard of this sect of people. And everywhere and from everyone that we hear it from, it is spoken against. You know what they could have done right there? They said, well... All the Jews everywhere else that come through Rome, the capital city, are speaking terrible of Christianity and of Jesus Christ. Because of that, you must be guilty. You must be wrong. Or we don't want to hear anything about what you have to say. But that's not what they say. Listen to what they say. And when they had a point, excuse me, but we desire, in verse 22, but we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest. For as concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and of the prophets from morning until evening. I hate in our culture that we've gotten away from this. There is value in doing what I'm doing right now and what we're doing right now. You know what there's also value in? Sitting and talking and asking questions. I'll even go a step further in saying non-church questions. Not the ones that are commonly heard in Bible Bible study with the understanding that the Bible is true. I'm saying those inappropriate questions. Those doubts that when you've read certain stories in the Bible, you've thought... Ooh, that's hard to believe. Those are things that are, can be edifying and encouraging and strengthening the faith that can be clarified and that I'll argue in our day is essential. So they say to him, for all these bad things about that way, can we schedule a time where we can sit down and talk? Has the pastor of this church signed me up for that? If you're a visitor this morning and you think that what we teach is hogwash that doesn't hurt my feelings whatsoever but if you would grant me the opportunity I would love to sit and listen to the complaints and reasons that you have that what you think we're doing is wrong or misled because I'll echo the sentiment of a lot of people in this room if we're misled we don't want to be so they sit aside a day and at the crux of the sect that he's talking about was the core question, who is Jesus? I would say today that is a question that people have, but there are a lot of other core questions that people have today that we've got to be ready to answer. This morning, my request to you, be like these people. You know, all throughout the New Testament, there are these admonitions for us to be this way. Jesus spent Matthew, I believe it's Matthew chapter 10, that might be wrong, but Matthew chapter 10 telling a parable of four types of ground. And the whole purpose of the parable is about type of hearers. People who hear and don't give any attention to it. People who hear it, consider it for a moment, then get distracted. People who the riches, Satan comes and sifts it out of their heart. And then he calls a fourth group of people and he says, it's the good ground who when the seed is planted, they allow it to stay and it begins to grow and it produces fruit. I would request this morning, lost, saved, skeptic, believer, have good ground. Be willing to listen. Be willing to consider. Ask God. Open my heart to hear what is true and lead me to what is right. Here's what it says, and I'm going to close. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. You know, I wish, I wish every single person there had believed. But you know what I'm really grateful for? All of them heard it. And those people were superior to all the groups of people from Acts 21 onward, who from the very beginning would not listen at all. I'll confess to you this morning, you might sit down with me and you might say, Brother Brad, here's my question. And I might say, I don't know. That's a really good question. I'm not saying this church, I'm not saying I have all the answers that are needed. What I'll tell you is I'll try to find it for you. I mean that as sincerely as possible. Because those existential questions that cause you to doubt everything in life, they go through my heart too. And I ask those questions too. Because I want to find the truth. I want to believe it. I want to live it. And what I have found is that when you do find the truth, as Jesus said, it's not just a series of logical consistencies. It will set you free. I find freedom. The more of the truth that I find and that God enables me to live in, the more freedom in life and in spirit that I find. So, don't think this morning it is simply something just in the mind. It's more than that. And Jesus taught us declaratively that the truth will set you free. And you can sense that in your entire being a freedom in this life that I think most people never experience. They live enslaved to work, to groupthink, to all number of ideas. And they never experience the freedom in Jesus Christ and in living and dwelling in truth. God wants you to have that. This morning, I'd like to have a song. If we could, please. And if you're here today, I would encourage you. Go to God and pray. We all have our biases. We all have our hardness. The Bible is full of examples of people who hardened their heart and unwilling to convince the truth. Maybe you say, you know what, I'm a pretty hard person. I respect people who can admit that. I don't like to listen to things I don't like. Come up and pray that God would help break you of that. If you're lost this morning, pray that God would open your heart to receive the truth more fully and that it would do its work in your heart. Because when it does, it's powerful. I hope God will do that this morning. Let's all stand and sing today.